Welcome, friends. You are listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Fort Myers, Florida. To learn more, join us online at fccfm.org. It is a blessing to be able to share God's Word with you today. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Happy Easter to all of you. It is so great to have you join us for our Easter services here at FCC. It is our mission to connect all people to Jesus and to each other, and we would love to have you join us in that mission, not just today, but every day. Let's get started right, right at the front with our big idea for today. Here it is, the unparalleled life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is historical believable, and universally powerful. That is our big idea for Easter Sunday. The unparalleled life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is historical, believable, and universally powerful. And I know you just sat down, but would you please stand for the reading of Scripture? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 11, the Apostle Paul writes, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that would be Peter, and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, Paul writes, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me is not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. Would you say the Lord's Prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. How many of you have a favorite television show? Favorite television show? I mean, I know there's always a, a new hit show that everybody watches. And my wife and I, we like to spend about the last hour of our day every day watching television together before bed. And we're always looking for a new show to watch. And we generally want to find something that we haven't seen, but it has several seasons already available to stream. Because what we'll do is we'll watch an episode or two every night until we've seen them all. Sometimes we watch comedies like Ted Lasso. Anybody seen it? Sometimes, I know a lot more of you have seen it than that. So good. 
Sometimes we watch romantic stuff like Virgin River. Uh, sometimes we watch dramatic stuff like Downton Abbey. Uh, that's one of my wife's favorites. Sometimes we watch action stuff like Yellowstone. Uh, we just finished 1883, which was really good. Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about when I say favorite television shows. I'm talking about the stuff that's been around for so long that you've seen every single episode at least 10 times. You got anything like that? Stuff you turn on when you have nothing else to watch. I'm talking about the show that that you just play in the background when you're doing something else. Got one of those? Shows like Seinfeld, Friends, Parks and Rec, How I Met Your Mother, How about this one? The Office? Who loves The Office? All right, let's talk about The Office for a second. Now, I know The Office is so 2008, but seriously, that show is funny and painful, but really funny and really painful. How many of you watched it? Still watch it? How many of you can quote at least one obnoxious line from the stumbling, bumbling regional manager of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, Michael Scott? At least one line. Oh my goodness, did he have some great lines. There's a time he's he's talking about how great of a boss he is. And he holds up his world's best boss coffee mug and he says, I think that pretty much sums it up. I bought it at Spencer's Gifts. He bought it for himself. Incidentally, I did not buy this for myself. But neither did anyone who works for me. Actually, my wife bought it for me. Hey, she is a smart, successful, savvy, independent woman. If she wants to call me boss, that's her business. Anyway, the office, there was the, the time when Michael Scott's accountant tells him he needs to declare bankruptcy. Maybe some of you remember this. He's got a really dire financial situation. The accountant says, you, you need to declare bankruptcy, Michael. And so he gets up from his desk. He walks out into the general population of the office and he says, I declare bankruptcy. Well, at least one of you found it funny. I guess you had to see the episode. It was funny. And then into perhaps my favorite Michael Scott line of all time when he said, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. Well, it's Easter Sunday, and I want to stand here and declare to you today that I am not superstitious In fact, I'm not even a little stitious. I don't believe in luck, good or bad. I don't believe there's anything haunting about Friday the 13th. I don't believe you need to knock on wood when you say something. I don't believe you need to say God bless you every time someone sneezes, although it is kind of nice to do so. I don't believe the government is covering up alien life on earth. I don't believe in global conspiracy theories or any of that QAnon nonsense. I'm not worried about a black cat crossing my path. I don't believe there's a demon behind every one of our problems. I don't believe you become an angel when you die. And I don't believe all dogs go to heaven. 
although I sure hope they do, and I'm just gonna put this out there right now, if any creature on earth actually deserves to go to heaven, it is those cute little puppy dogs. I don't believe in destiny. I don't believe every single event in human history, good and bad, has been set in stone from the beginning of time. I don't believe in astrology, horoscopes, psychics, or ghosts. I'm not superstitious. I'm not even a little stitious. But I do believe in Jesus. I believe in the unparalleled life death, and resurrection of Jesus, I believe it is historical, believable, and universally powerful. And today, I just want to share with you a few of the reasons I believe. And so let's begin with the first part of our big idea that the unparalleled life and death of Jesus is historical, meaning it really did happen. It's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's not a fable, it's not a superstition. His life and death really did happen. The stories of Jesus are not just made up stories. You know, that was something that was so profound to me several years ago when I toured Israel. Of course, I, I believed it all, but when I actually went there and I saw it for myself, it became so real to me. Incidentally, we are planning a tour of Israel for our church in April of 2023. And so if you're interested in being part of a life-changing, soul-shaping trip, uh, you can look for more information on that in the coming weeks. It's going to be awesome. But being in Israel... And seeing all the history and examining the archaeology and the evidence, it was so clear that these stories, they weren't made up hundreds of years later in Rome or Europe. No, these stories and these people were historical stories in actual people. That's what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 3 through 8 again where he said, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12 and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, that means passed away and then he appeared to James and then he appeared to all the apostles and then Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. And I just love the way Paul summarizes the story of Jesus here. He's not inviting his reader to believe a myth. He's inviting his reader to examine the history and the testimony of the original followers of Jesus. And these verses were written in the 50s AD. That was about 35 years after the death of Christ. And many of the Jesus followers were still living at that time. They could be questioned. They could share their testimony. They could be cross-examined. You see, the life of Jesus was not some vague event that had happened at some point in their distant past. It was not a story that evolved and mythologized over time into the story that Paul told in 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, myths don't materialize in 35 years. Paul was sharing a true story of something that actually happened. And, and Paul wasn't the only one to share the story of Jesus. Matthew, the corrupt tax collector turned committed Christian, shared it. Mark, a disciple of, of Peter, shared it. Luke, the highly educated companion of Paul, shared it. John, the very best friend of Jesus, shared it. It's not mythology, it's history. 
In fact, there are actually hundreds of different documents, historical documents, legal documents, yes, of course, the religious documents in Scripture. We've even found personal correspondence dated from the first and second centuries that reference Jesus and his followers. Documents from believers and non-believers alike. Check out the following quote from the Roman historian Tacitus. This is about 75 years after the life of Christ, historians are writing about him. He said, Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, procurator of Judea in the reign of Tiberius. And this was written in the second century by the cynic Lucian. He said, the man Jesus was crucified in Palestine because he introduced this new cult to the world. In 73 AD, another man, he, he wrote a letter to his son, and archaeologists have found this letter, and it's a, a letter about famous executions, and the letter referenced the Athenians' murder of Socrates, and the Samians' murder of Pythagoras, and the Jews' murder of Jesus. Again, there are hundreds of documents from the first and second centuries that reference Jesus and his followers, and so we can say with confidence that the life and death of Jesus is a historical fact. It's not a myth, it's not a legend, it's not fable, it's not superstition. You might say, well, what about his resurrection? Well, that of course is a more difficult question. Can we believe in the resurrection? That's the second part of our big idea, that the resurrection of Jesus is believable. And let me share with you real quickly two reasons the resurrection is believable. The first reason to believe the resurrection is believable is because the tomb was, in fact, empty. You see, not everyone believes that Jesus rose from the dead, but almost everybody, including most scholars, believe at the very least the tomb was empty. It had to be. It's the only way to explain all the other evidence. And then we have to ask the question, if the tomb of Jesus was empty indeed, what could explain that away? And, and theories have been proposed, like the wrong tomb theory. Some scholars suggest the disciples went to the wrong tomb on that first Easter Sunday, and finding it empty just assumed Jesus had risen from the dead. Problem is, the early opponents would simply point out the right tomb and put an end to the story of the resurrection. Then there's the stolen body theory. Some scholars suggest the disciples conspired to steal the body of Jesus and claim he rose from the dead. Problem is, the disciples were ultimately killed themselves for preaching the resurrection of Jesus. And none of them ever said before their own execution, wait, time out. It was all a conspiracy. We made it up. You don't have to kill me. And then there's the resuscitation theory, the, the idea, the proposal that Jesus fainted but did not die, and then his executioners mistook him passing out on the cross for dying, and they handed his body over to be buried, and then those tasked with burying him realized he wasn't dead, and they nursed him back to health. Well, that doesn't really stand up either with the spear to his heart. No, in fact, medical experts who have studied the crucifixion all conclude there is no way Jesus could have survived what he experienced that day and on that cross. Famed historian John Dominic Crosson, who often appears on the History Channel and the Discovery Channel, who does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, he knows the tomb was empty. He said, well, I know why they couldn't find the body because dogs ate the body of Jesus. That's why the tomb was empty. Why does he believe this? What evidence? Well, he said, resurrection 
is impossible. Well, as, as impossible as it may sound to some, I believe the actual, literal, bodily resurrection of Jesus is the most reasonable explanation for the empty tomb. And as we've already established, I'm not the least bit superstitious. Now, the second reason to believe in the resurrection is because of the radical transformation of the disciples in the years afterward. I mean, think about it. Peter went from denying Jesus to dying for Jesus. Thomas went from doubting Jesus to worshiping Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, went, to thinking, went from thinking his brother was crazy to thinking his brother was God in the flesh. There were priests and religious leaders who went from voting to crucify Jesus to being vocal converts to Jesus. And what could possibly explain this radical change in the early Christians other than their own eyes seeing his resurrected body and their own hands touching his healed wounds and their own ears hearing his resurrected voice. This radical change in the followers of Jesus proves the final part of our big idea that Jesus is universally powerful. Powerful enough to transform the Apostle Paul from being the chief persecutor of the church to the chief planter of new churches. 1 Corinthians 15, verses eight through 11, it says, Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, that is what we preach. And this is what you have believed. The unparalleled life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is universally powerful. It's powerful enough to change the life and the eternity of the apostle Peter, powerful enough to change the life and the eternity of the apostle Thomas, powerful enough to change the life and the eternity of the apostle Paul, powerful enough to change your life and your eternity as well. And so if that's true, if all of it's true, and I believe it is, then we have to conclude it changes everything. So what if it is true for you? What does it mean for you if it's all true? If Jesus has the power to change death into life, well, that means his power is universal. That means he has the power to, to heal your relationships. It means he has the power to restore your finances. It means he has the power to bless your health. It means he has the power to resurrect your well-being, to resurrect dead churches. It means he has the power to resurrect dying communities and decaying nations. It means he can take anything dying or dead and infuse it with life. And that's all well and good. But that is not the point. The point is, if Jesus has the power to resurrect life from death, then Jesus has the power to reconnect us, sinners though we are, with our perfect Father and with each other forever. That is the power of the gospel. Not just the temporary things, but the eternal things. So what does it mean to you today? 
Well, I love that it's a holiday, right? And I love that we do lots of fun things with our families. We do these Easter egg hunts and Easter baskets, eat lots of good food and lots and lots of chocolate. I love the four-day weekend. I love that we, we all get dressed up in nice clothes. And no, I won't be doing this every Sunday. Already been asked about two dozen times. <laughs> I love that we have a special day dedicated to celebrating Christ's resurrection. But beyond all that, if you really believe in Easter, if you really believe Jesus conquered death, how does that inform impact, influence, inspire your life today. Well, for the Apostle Paul, it took away the sting of death. That chapter we're reading, 1 Corinthians 15, he concluded like this in verse 54 and 55, he said, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? That's what it meant for Paul. What does it mean for you? I wanna encourage you, and, and this is our takeaway for today. I wanna encourage you to really spend some time today reflecting on the resurrection of Jesus. Ask yourself this question, what does the resurrection mean to me? As you gather with your spouse or your significant other or your children or your grandchildren, maybe around brunch, around lunch, whatever it might be, just have that discussion, take the opportunity. Maybe you're sitting around the table for lunch and say, if it's true, and we believe it is, if it's really true, what does it mean to you? Today is a special day. This is a spiritual day. So I wanna encourage you to have a spiritual conversation with your loved ones. Reflect on the resurrection. What does it mean to you and your family? For me, it means God saves me for eternity and reconnects me with my family. It was November of 2007 that my mother lost her 10-year battle with cancer. Three years later, it was late in 2010, Janice and I and our four children, we were, we were heading west on Interstate 80 out of Illinois. We were, we were going on a short little vacation getaway. We were meeting up with some old friends. We were gonna spend a few days at this massive indoor water park in Iowa, and we were about an hour away from home when my phone rang, and, and I looked at my phone, and it had my dad's name on it, and so I answered it, and I could tell immediately something was wrong. His voice was grim and he said, Matt, I need you to pray. And I'd heard that tone in those words before and time stood still. And I said, okay, what's up? And he said, well, a lump has started growing on my neck and it can't be good. And after a series of tests, the doctor shared that he had tonsil cancer and the tumor had grown around his carotid artery. Inoperable, but not untreatable. They hit it with radiation, they prescribed chemotherapy, they could not perform surgery. In fact, what they told us was, they told us he'd be able to live with it so long as he was willing to take the chemo. And he said, you mean I can, I can take this pill and live 10 more years? And they said, it will hold back the advancement of the tumor as long as you take it. 
And then he asked, well, what would prevent me from taking it for the next 20 or 30 years and living a full life? And the doctor said, well, eventually you're gonna have enough and you're gonna tap out. It was a little over a year later that my dad called me and he said, I think I'm finished with the chemo. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, I'm done. I'm done taking the chemotherapy. And I was like, you, you understand what you're saying, right? You, you know what this means. And, and he said, son, I know what it means. And I've had enough. And I'm ready to see your mother. And two weeks later, he was gone. But he was with my mom again. And he was with Jesus. And so for me, as I reflect upon the resurrection, yes, it takes away my fear of death. But more importantly, it means I get to see eternity. And I get to see my family. And most importantly, it means I get to be with Jesus forever. Reflect upon that as you enjoy this day. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, our Heavenly Father, for sending your Son that miraculous birth, that incredible life, that horrible death, paying the penalty our sins deserve to forgive us and pardon us and reconnect us with you, God, that resurrection, proving to us that there is life beyond death. We thank you for who you are and all that you've done for us and we pray that we would live, live in the light of your resurrection. Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If we can pray for you or encourage you in any capacity, please let us know at fccfm.org.